Welcome to SMX Insider. We are your insiders. Jason Wygant joined by Daniel Blair. We're going to wrap up Monster Energy Supercross and the Super Motocross World Championship from Arlington, Texas. So, Daniel, you were there. You experienced the big Texas atmosphere. What are your big takeaways from the weekend? First one is a star, which is ironic. Uh, a star is born in the 250 class for me. Nate Thrasher, we, we know him as the guy with the weirdest resume of all time. These crazy wins and then these lackluster finishes. He's starting to become an every week guy. And, and my big takeaway is you have the agonizing defeat in Tampa to be able to bounce back with the injury that he's facing that we all know now and be able to win that triple crown with all that chaos and that track breaking down a huge night for him. And, and I think he has uh, arrived on the scene. I, I think he's on the map. and I think everybody knows it now. Oh, so that's your 250 winner, Nate Thrasher. Yeah, he gets second in Tampa with a torn ACL. That's actually good, but he got passed in the last corner, so it looked bad at the time. Let's go to 450s. I don't think anything really changed here, did it? No, that's the beauty of the 450 class is the only thing that changed is what looked like maybe a momentum swing for Eli Tomac, a chance to win the Triple Crown, then go to Daytona with momentum, win again, and stretch this thing. Did not happen because he made mistakes, which brings up a... a, a an idea or a thought in this 450 class, which is, is there any true favorite of the three? Is one of these guys better than the rest? Luckily for us, we, we do have a the stat man who's going to come in and fill the gaps for us and make this all make sense. Because right now, the 450 class is all over the place. That's where we want it. And we'll get Clinton Fallon to make this thing understood. Yeah, so let's welcome in our stat man, Clinton Fowler, an early in the show edition of Fowler's Facts. The beginning of this season, you mentioned the five keys to a title. We're going to specifically dissect not making mistakes and how important that is. What is the data showing you with this championship, Clinton? Weege, the mistakes are arguably the biggest factor in the closest title race through seven rounds. Ever? We've got ever? Ever. 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 Wow. Okay. Yeah. Five points separating those three guys is, is the closest we've ever been through seven rounds. It's a pretty amazing battle we've got going on between Tomac, Webb, and Sexton. You just look at the average finishes and you see it right there. Uh, Tomac and Sexton with a 2.6 and Webb with a 2.4. Um, these guys are on the podium consistently every weekend. Take a look at Eli Tomac and he's leading the championship and we've been praising him all year. As he hits those all-time milestones. But the reality is he's made some pretty big mistakes lately. He's lost four points at Anaheim too. He lost another five points with that crash in the third Triple Crown race in Arlington. The, the reality is he he's not actually had a great last few races. So obviously Oakland was pretty good, but the the, the Tampa before that in, in Arlington this past weekend, not great. So um, some work to be done for Tomac, Weege. Yeah, and I'm going to take this a step further because I always say the first two rounds of the series are a bit of a write-off. Think of how many weirdo round one winners that don't win again for the rest of the year. Roxon last year, Barsha the years before that. One year we had Blake Baggett and Barsha winning the first two rounds. They didn't win for the rest of the year. So if you take the first two rounds out where Tomac was clearly the best guy, since then he's been good, but he has not been dominant. He's looked a lot more human. And in that stretch, we've been dumping on Sexton, but Sexton actually, the data hasn't been that bad during this same stretch. You know, Wage, it's a great point. Mistakes have cost Sexton 10 points a season, and there's been two where he should have won and he made those mistakes. So, of course, we see that and we talk about it a lot, right? We're being prototypical media. <laughs> but the reality, Daniel, I mean, it's pretty amazing. He's got six podiums, the most of anybody, so more consistently up there than anybody. 
And if you drop those first two downs, like Weege said, he's got a four-point lead over Webb, and he's got an eight-point lead over Tomac. Yeah, the data obviously shows that this thing is not as defined as we would think, right? Chase is not the guy with all the problems, and Eli's not the guy with all the uh, all the glory here. There's obviously a mix-up there, but for me, it goes back to the eye test. Um, Eli has been a little shaky on certain nights. Cooper Webb's obviously been kind of quiet on super on some nights, but the speed from Sexton is there every single week. So for me, it still comes down to once he cleans up his issue, I still think they're in the most trouble because his issue, I think, is the easiest to clean up. But what does the data actually say on Webb? Because he may be the least confusing of these three riders, Clinton. You know, the, the data is pretty amazing on Webb. He hasn't made any mistakes. And I, I dove in and looked. He's lost one position in a race this year. And that was in the second Triple Crown in Anaheim 2. And it didn't cost him any points. So Webb, his race IQ, he just is avoiding those mistakes. And then obviously at the end of the race, he's done incredible. But the thing that's truly amazing on Cooper Webb, guys, he's only led all year 10 laps, and he's got two wins. Eli Tomac, 83 led laps. Chase Sexton, 67 led laps. Like, those guys are more dominating in terms of led laps. So, Weech, the ama- to me, the amazing part, I look at that, that third Triple Crown race where he comes away with a win, he only led four laps in that entire race. Yeah, uh, his wins are often sneaky, but this one was so sneaky that even Webb himself after the race said it almost doesn't feel like he won. But that's kind of the way he does it. We'll bring you back a little bit later, Clinton, to talk Daytona and how that impacts the championship. But thanks for now. Looking forward to it, Weege. All right, Jason, it's 32nd board time. I want to start with the Lawrence brothers. Uh, Great on the bike, great on the track but great off the track as well. It seems like those guys just know exactly what to do to maximize the branding and and the fun part of the Lawrence Brothers, even on a race weekend. Yeah, they hosted a dinner for fans before the Arlington Supercross, as if they needed anything else to adhere themselves to the fans even more. So dinner for the fans, a dinner I heard was higher quality than just serving the Jets and Donuts that you can buy in the concourse at Supercross races. So yeah, just what the world needed. More reasons to love the Lawrence Brothers and even though Hunter did take his first loss of the year, they are the points leaders still in both 250 divisions. So that's all working for them. And then speaking of working, we have to uncover the story of Josh Cartwright. Now, we used to call him the world's fastest college student when he was making 250 mains while getting a degree from Florida State University. Now he's a 450 rider, and now he's a working man, a legit job in IT and riding better than ever. Here's Josh. This year... My home life is good. My vibes are good. My team on my own is good, even though I'm with the Mad Parts team on the side. Like, they've been great to me. Um, It's honestly easier than college. Like, because college you were in school taking tests, studying all the time, and now I have a set schedule. I know what I need to do, and it's kind of humbled me down to where it's made my life easier almost. I'm right out here riding my dirt bike having fun. That's why I do this, and the job helps me pay for all my bills, and then the motocross is just fun on the side. Well, Jason, he is a business intelligence analyst. That's a lot of smart, important words all crammed into one title. And uh, I think what's most impressive is his ability on the motorcycle. It's one thing to have a job and race. That's been done before. A lot of guys do that. But he's off to maybe the best start of any season he's ever had. He's made five of seven mains while working a full-time job. And not just a regular job where you can kind of not pay attention, kind of not do your job. To To have a job like that takes some focus. So... Uh, that balance is incredible, and he's pulling it off this year. 
Yeah, and I, I talked to him at Oakland about that. He says these Zoom meetings, he tries to leave the camera off because there are times during the day where he's at the track logging motos on his remote work days, just trying to get his time in. Incredible what he's pulled off. Yeah, that would be considered hot in my opinion. But we transfer to the hot or not segment. Uh, Honda versus Yamaha. So, Jason, this started last summer with Tomac and Sexton, this Honda-Yamaha summer battle. It's continued in Supercross. Now on the West Coast, Jet Lawrence is battling Levi Kitchen, the only rider who's been able to beat him this year. And now Hunter Lawrence gets his first loss of the year to a Yamaha and Nate Thrasher. So Yamaha and Honda are kind of getting it on here early in 2023, but it all started last summer. Yeah, yeah, and let's not count out the fact that Tomac and Sexton are still at each other's throats in the 450 division. There's also an orange motorcycle in that 450 title fight as well. But yes, it's been a lot of blue versus red in all the classes in probably the last year and a half uh, in this sport. And credit to Nate Thrasher. You mentioned at the top of the show, that's one of your big takeaways. Not only does he have a win now, but he's at least guaranteed a spot into the LCQ for the Super Motocross World Championship playoffs at the end of the year. And he's going to have a tough decision to make. I'm wondering about the timing. He has the torn ACL. I wonder, could Thrasher make it through Supercross, battle for a title, get the ACL fixed, and then make it back in time for a run at SMX? A guy on a hybrid-type track to come out of nowhere and win a bunch of races? That is Nate Thrasher all the way. Uh, yeah, you saw what he did at Atlanta in his rookie year twice. So, yeah, hybrid tracks, got his name written all over it. And you're right, that knee injury is going to play a role here because if he doesn't ride the outdoor championship, that puts him in a weird spot of the overall points. But getting that win punches his ticket in. He's going to be in the SMX playoffs. But what does he do this summer? You're right. That's a huge decision. Uh, Jeremy Martin, another rider who I expect to be great in that type of format because he's been so great at Daytona. He gets a triple crown race win in Arlington. And now he comes into Daytona where he's been really good in the past. Are we feeling J-Mart this weekend? I'm feeling uh, Club MX and the Muckoff FXR team. They had gotten a heat race win with Garrett Marchbanks before, but I guess you could call this their first main event win. It was just one of the triple crowns. But the real goal with Jeremy is to win races consistently. Certainly outdoors, he's going to be a contender. And maybe at Daytona, could Club MX win a race against the factories? I think it's in play. That's pretty cool. Uh, we have to give a shout out to Cooper Webb, by the way, for winning, by the way, the triple crown. It was a win that I did not see coming. At one point, he was in fifth place in the final triple crown event after finishing fifth in the first one. And then literally they all fell down. But isn't that the way Cooper Webb does it? That's exactly how he does it. If you look at his championship seasons, he he's so crafty. He's so smart. He knows when to pounce. He knows when to not pounce. Uh, he really plays the game the right way. And yeah, on a night where I didn't feel he was very special at all. He wasn't special in qualifying. He wasn't special in race one. Race two, you saw some glimpses. But then when it mattered most, the math mattered. He was at his best, and he got it done and gets the win. That's the way he always does it. Uh, and that should be terrifying for everybody because as long as he's in this thing, uh, they're in big trouble late in the championship because that's when he's at his best. I think one of the coolest moments of this weekend, Jason, was when we announced on race day live that Eli Tomac was going to race the Pro Motocross Championship and the Super Motocross World Championship playoffs. We announced it on RDL, on the big screen, in the stadium with all the 450 guys on the gate watching uh, what a terrible way to find out if you're the competition. But yeah, Eli, he made the statement. He's not done. Well, after Salt Lake City, I'm not done racing. I, I officially signed up for motocross and the SMX uh, round. So I'm racing all the way until the SMX rounds through September. Uh, at the beginning of the season, I said Supercross was the only thing I was contracted for, which was the case. Um, but thankfully, 
Monster Energy, Yamaha, Star Racing uh, allowed me to have that option um, to make my decision in, in the Supercross series to keep going. And we're gonna go for it. So definitely not done yet. Yeah, I think the SMX playoffs, we kind of saw that coming. I talked to his team uh, a week earlier at Oakland, and it was headed that direction. Eli then said he was 50-50. I did not see the Pro Motocross Championship coming. There is nothing more grueling than 22 motos throughout the summer, and he went to the brink with Chase Sexton. Let's get those two again. Jet Lawrence on a 450. Dylan Ferrandis hopefully back and healthy. Cooper Webb's going to race outdoors. This is going to be nuts, but uh, they all know who they got a gun for. That's the guy with the number one. Now let's move into the not category and for Sexton. Okay, he did fall in the first race. That hurt him, but he still ended up in the lead. And then the lappers, Grant Harlan, not good. Yeah, that was a bummer for him, but that's part of racing. You know, I think back to Cooper Webb losing the Daytona Supercross because of a lap traffic issue or a lapper issue. I think back to Ken Roxon losing a race to Cooper Webb because of a lapper issue. And it happens again, and it's part of racing. Um, I know a lot of people want to freak out and say we got to do something about it. I, I, I disagree. This is this is racing. It's part of the game, and sometimes it's unfortunate for the guy out front. But you have to master the art of that. And Cooper Webb has been on the better end of that more than he's been on the bad end. So very tough for Chase Sexton. I, I feel for him. But hey, the moving objects late in the race called lappers is part of this thing. And this was just a tough one for him. And unfortunately, he gets bit by him this week. Yeah, and the most of the onus here is going on Grant Harlan, but Kyle Chisholm had crashed at the end of the whoops. That made everybody funnel into the same line. That made the situation even worse. And that's kind of the same story with the injury bug. We were so lucky in the offseason. We pretty much got every top rider over to Anaheim 1 healthy. Now it's starting to add up. Adam Cincerillo, this is concerning. Case is a jump on press day. Hurts his wrist, couldn't go. Don't know his status going forward. And everyone always thinks if Cincerillo's out, oh, Joey Savacci is going to inherit the Monster Energy Kawasaki bike from him. But then Savacci goes down with a wrist injury over the weekend. But now it sounds like, according to Joe, it's not as bad as thought. He should be in Daytona, which is good for him racing. We'll also have a really cool feature on Joey on our race day live show on Saturday. Watch for that. Now, not injured, but just looking bad is Colt Nichols. And that's by his own admission. After the race, he told everyone that asked that it was one of the worst rides he's had in a long, long time. Not good for the 45. Yeah, tough trend right now for Colt Nichols. You got to remember back in Anaheim, he finished sixth in his very first 450 Supercross. Uh, obviously a wild night. It wasn't his best night, but he managed it so perfectly and got through it with a good result. And it seems like it's gone downhill since then. This would be his worst finish of the year, at least the way it looked at Arlington. And, um, you, you know, that's part of being a rookie, though. You're going to have peaks and valleys, and I think he's in a valley right now, but he's got good people around him. I know he's a motivated guy, so I wouldn't be surprised if he comes out of this and, and puts together a good couple weeks of racing. But he needs to start that right now in Daytona because we, the trend has been going in the wrong direction since the opener. And uh, I, I believe in Colt. I think there's more there, but he needs to turn this thing around right now. All 31 Super Motocross World Championship events can be streamed domestically. That's here in the U.S. on Peacock. So to subscribe, go to PeacockTV.com slash sports slash Super Motocross. And for the fans of Super Motocross, they'll have a chance to watch it all year long on Peacock, NBC, and USA Network. And for the international fans, you can join in the fun by getting the Super Motocross Video Pass. Go to Supermotocross.tv to purchase access to every moment of the 2023 Supercross season, the Pro Motocross season, and of course, Super Motocross live events in one place. Plus, get over 800 plus hours of archived races.
Okay, interesting as we get Monster Energy Supercross swinging over to Daytona this weekend. We always talk about that being a unique track, a somewhat outdoorsy Supercross track. It's more important than ever now because we're going to have hybrid races at the end of the year with the Super Motocross World Championship playoffs. So maybe, maybe a little bit of a preview this weekend. What do you think, Daniel? Yeah, I mean, Daytona's always been Daytona, and Atlanta's always been Atlanta. But now Daytona and Atlanta are kind of your preview races for the playoffs. But Weege, for me, the biggest variable when it comes to those types of tracks is the soil. Because Daytona and Atlanta are not similar other than the feel and the length and the, the views from the sideline. But in reality, those tracks aren't the same because of the dirt. So until we get to Charlotte and Chicago and L.A. and know exactly what the soil is going to be like, we really don't know what the playoff tracks will feel like other than just the imagery of this big landscape. So yes, similar feel, but not exactly what we're going to see when we get to the playoffs. All right, it's time for our big interview. We had this interview at our very first episode of the show back in December at Anaheim, and now it's time for Daytona. So let's bring the greatest of all time, Ricky Carmichael, back. Okay, Daniel and I have tried to slice this any way we can. We cannot come up with a clear favorite with this Sexton, Tomac, and Webb battle. Can you? <laughs> uh, no, because I, you, you can make a uh, fair point for all three of those guys. All of us sitting here today, yourself, Weege, and Daniel, I mean, you can make a, like I said, you can make a fair case and debate for, for all three of them. We have a special treat. And so, so many years, we haven't seen three guys this close matching each other on the box all the time since basically 2006. We talked a little bit this past weekend on the RDL. So uh, I think we're at that point in time, fellas, where it, it, it's mental this point i do think we're going to cross some tracks that uh some might favor eli some might favor cooper some uh some will favor for chase but at the end of the day i i really truly believe this with all my heart that it is a battle of the mind and which guy is going to buckle first or which guy's going to rise to the occasion looking at it in a positive light Wh which one of those three guys is going to take that next step and establish themselves as the guy to be beaten. RC, we'll start with Daytona on these tracks that are coming up. And obviously that's a Tomac track. He's won there. It just seems like forever. How can Chase Sexton and Cooper Webb make a make a move mentally on Eli outside of winning this race? I, I mean, if, can, can they without a win here? Can they make a dent in, in, inside of his approach and his mental side of the program? Because it just seems like he'd be a favorite here. Great question. So you go back to last year, if my mind serves me right. I mean, Cooper was pretty good, right? So I think for all intents and purposes, all of us on SMX Insider here today can say that he is better this year than he was last year. So what? why wouldn't you think that he can't do just as good this year as he did last year when he's better this year? He is in that zone. As far as Chase Sexton is concerned, speed isn't the problem. He even says it himself. So you have to give him that right to know that he is going to be fast enough no matter what the condition is. If it's Daytona Supercross, if it's hard packed, if it's ruddy, it doesn't matter. He is going to be fast. He has a speed advantage on on Eli and on Cooper. These guys are, are have each guy right on the brink and all it literally takes is just one lap, one little mishap for the one guy to win or the one guy not to win. 
with Daytona's track being unique, Ricky, my, my question is, what do the last five minutes look like there? Since we always talk about how you got to be strong late, what does that track look like in the last five? Well, that's a great question, Daniel. So what that track looks like, those last five laps, it, I mean, it it gets so gnarly. The ruts get rougher, accelerating bumps coming out. You'll see those guys starting to hop out of ruts early, maybe using outside lines to where they can keep their momentum up. And, and, and really, the last five laps is where the bread and butter is made and, and where the cream rises to the top because of the difficulty and just how physically tough and demanding that Daytona Supercross track is. Five laps isn't just a chip shot at Daytona. <laughs> hey, RC, I always say you're the busiest man at Daytona. You help, of course, with the Peacock broadcast. You design the track. It's a home race for you. I'm sure you got a lot of people you want to visit. And then this year, you're adding something else, something that I know that's very special to you personally. Yeah, so really excited. Uh, I, I've only really shared this with a few people. I mean, you guys know about it because you see me on the weekends and uh, it's something I've been working on. You know, when I'm not busy doing doing my stuff for, and my obligations for, for Peacock and, and all that fun stuff. But uh, I was able to get my high school education and finish it through on track. Uh, what an incredible um, um, accomplishment that was for me. And the biggest thing that I can tell you guys, it's, it's one of the major things in life. Um, that I, I, I had started, but never, never, never completed. You know, you think about my motocross, supercross history and starting at a young age and I finished it. I was successful. I had a great career and this, this has just been looming and I was so close. I stopped going to school um, nine weeks into my junior year. Um, yes, I had an excuse. I was about to turn pro in 1997. So my last, the last time that I went to school was in October of 96 when I got called out to California to go test for the 1997 season, my rookie season. Um, is it, it is, is it an excuse? Of course it is, but uh, it, it's still, it was something, I wouldn't say that I was ashamed of not being able to graduate, but when people would ask me when I did, hey, when did you graduate? I'd be like, uh... You know, I kind of like sink down in my chair and, and I just be like, well, I was supposed to graduate in 1999. So this has really been bothering me for 20 plus years. So for a program like OnTrack, they do an incredible job. Uh, what they offer, it was something that was very special and how it came about. Uh, myself and my great friend Jeff Emig and my now wife uh, Tia sitting around having some beverages and, and talking about things like that we would want to accomplish and um, education is huge uh, for my wife. Hey, Ricky is working so hard. You'd be so proud of him. So we were we were talking. I think uh, I think Jeff was here for an RCU that we were doing before Daytona Supercross. One thing led to another. Pro's like, man, I'm gonna do it, and he got some encouragement from my from my wife and and then I got encouraged to do it it took me a little bit longer to do it on track reached out to the uh, Leon High School that's where I went here in Tallahassee they got my transcripts and saw how much uh, saw what I needed to do um, all the credits that I needed to accomplish and the time and the hours that I need to finish to to get my high school diploma and that's what uh, that's what I was able to do fro was able to do that too so uh Certainly exciting times, and uh, I couldn't have done it without the support. Uh, number one of my kids, uh, they were a motivating factor of that, and then the encouragement from my wife and 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 everyone in the teachers at on track. If I ever needed them, they were there. Um, I mean, just ready to help whenever I needed them. So exciting times. Can't wait, RC. It's going to be good. Thanks for hanging yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I can't wait to get to Daytona. It's going to be going to be a good one. 
Okay, as mentioned, another edition of Fowler's Facts. Clinton Fowler returns to our show, this time to talk Daytona. Now, our buddy Carmichael has always said the series begins at Daytona. So, Clinton, does the data support that quote? It all depends on how you want to interpret the data. Daytona is normally the halfway point of the series. Um, It's been around 8, 9, and 10, 26 of the 49 years. And, And the reality is the title contenders are pretty clear when we get to Daytona. So... Um, it makes the picture a little bit easier to figure out, and I think that might be where uh, RC was kind of pointing to. I think what's most interesting is since 1977, when the series was 10 rounds or longer, 78% of the racers leading the series go on to win it. And if you look <clears throat> and bring that to 1990, 88% of the leaders leaving Daytona end up winning the championship so pretty amazing to consider um that this kind of signifies a really critical point in the series um but if you look at it there's four times where the tables have been turned you got jeff stanton in 1990 with jeff natasovich you got jeff stanton again with damon bradshaw in 92 and james stewart turns the tables on chad reed in 2009 and then cooper webb over oxen in 2021 Weege, what do you think of that? Uh, Webb takes the title from Roxon in 21 after leaving Daytona not in the lead. But in 19, he actually left there with the lead and went on to win the title. So Cooper Webb actually knows both ways to do it. He's just trying to make Clinton's job that much harder. Yeah, yeah. I do feel like by the time we got to Daytona that year in 21, Webb wasn't the points leader, but momentum was starting to go his way. I think what's so cool right now, we can't figure out who has the momentum coming in this year. And Clinton, this is a nice little... Maybe preview. We'll talk about this later, but SMX playoffs will be kind of a track like this. Yep. There's uh, there's definitely an interesting piece coming up as it relates to the LA Coliseum and uh, maybe the Jeff Stanton, Damon Bradshaw years back in 1992. Yeah, our final race this season will be in September at the LA Coliseum. That's where Stanton stole a title from Bradshaw to get that, not the points leader at Daytona, but won the title that year. Clinton, thanks as always for the data. Thanks, Weege. Good to be here. All right, Jason. Well, I'll be joining Ricky Carmichael in the booth at 7 Eastern on Peacock. You can catch all the action there. But actually, it starts with Race Day Live. 1.30 Eastern. And Jason, guess who is on Race Day Live? It happens to be the Grand Marshal of Daytona. Any guesses? <laughs> uh, yes, it's Justin Brayton. So you're joining Carmichael in the booth. And even if I'm not invited, I'm going to crash the party and join Justin Brayton somewhere during the weekend at Daytona. I'll be there live announcing. But Brayton and I are going to cross paths. He's the Grand Marshal. Hey, look, Tomas won six Daytonas. The only guy to bring him down is Justin Brayton. Long overdue. Yeah, it should be a fantastic weekend. I'm really excited, especially how pivotal this championship is. Lately, you notice that, Daniel? We seem to come into Daytona every year with the points really close. This seems to be uh, the, the magic race every year. It's where the championship begins. And this year, you have three riders, five points separating them. And yeah, it's all going down this Saturday night. Don't forget to, you can catch the post-race show on supermotocross.com. And then, of course, catch us, the SMX Insiders, every week right here on supermotocross.com.